Hello, welcome to... Oh, now I forgot. Hello, welcome to Remote Patrol. Oh boy. We're back with some old stuff. This is... This is comfy... Right. Very simply, we we thought when we did the last show that we'd done all of season one, and then it turned out we hadn't. So we're doing that Oops. now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is but the, it's good it's good because these uh last two episodes of season one uh will benefit from our format change so they will indeed so do you want to go ahead what's talk old about becomes it. new again yes <clears throat> um oh i should go through the, the the format change for everyone now if we have returning listeners and i really hope that we do uh you might remember that all of the previous episodes from season one that we discussed we did in rather a improvisational manner. We just kind of mm-hmm. just kind of leapt into it. Um, we played it by ear. It was fast and loose. And as a result, uh, we would tangent wildly and often. As I mentioned uh, last episode in our discussion with Allison Pregler, uh, one episode we went from discussing Quantum Leap to discussing uh, proper English breakfast. I don't know how, but it happened. It did. So in an effort to avoid doing that again, um, I have created a show outline, uh, kind of a uh, a framework that we're going to follow as we discuss the Quantum Leap episodes moving forward. Uh, excuse me. Maybe I shouldn't have had the beer. So the way we're going to attack these Quantum Leap episodes uh, from here on out is we're going to start with um, the dates that the show aired and uh, the date that the story takes place. And if there was anything noteworthy that happened on the date that Sam leaps into, then we will discuss that briefly. We're not going to have a big discussion about it, but we'll at least tell you what was going on. Um, A quick episode synopsis. uh, We'll discuss the reason that Sam is there, the wrong that he has to set right and basically talk about whether or not there's anything interesting about it, anything new, um, anything innovative that makes it uh, special. Uh, We're going to focus on character developments, and that's actually pretty easy with this show as opposed to any other television show you could watch because there's really only two people, with a few exceptions, only two people that carry over from one episode to the next. So if, if they develop the character of Sam or the character of Al, in the episode we're talking about, we will we'll focus on that and get to know them a little bit more. Um, if Sam has a a brush with history or a brush with fame, and we know that the show creators like to do that, for example, when he met Buddy Holly a few episodes ago, yeah. Um, if something like that happens, um, we have a section for that, as well as uh, any ways in which Sam might have uh, influenced or or nudged the history that we know. And we'll get into some big examples of those later on in the series, I think, like in season five. Um, finally, we will go into uh, tropes. Usually it's going to be tropes of 1980s television, 80s and 90s television that we notice in these episodes. Um, signs of the times that Sam has leaped into, things that they represented properly from the 60s or the 50s or whenever it was he jumps into. And the always delightful before they were stars section where we find <laughs> so celebrities that we know or have known making early appearances here in quantum leap. It's one of the best parts of going back to watch star Trek, the next generation. Yeah, and we're, yeah. we're, we're going to make it good here as well. Um, 
After that, we wrap up our episode with whether or not we liked the episode that we just watched. And then we do the wrap ups with some plugs before we give you a sweet taste of what's to come in the next episode. And that's the outline we're going to be following from here on out. Works for me. I like it. Outstanding. Are you ready to jump into the outline or is there any uh, uh, trivia or any notes, any uh, initial thoughts you want to share before we get into it? No, I'm ready to jump in. I'm let's right. do it. Let's jump away. Well, then I, I think you mean let's leap. I, into I do. I do. The that's, episode. Yes. That, I that. don't know if I don't know if I'm going to make that a catchphrase. We'll see. <laughs> it's not bad, though. You know, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. Let's, let's leap, leap into, into it, shall we? Okay. <laughs> all right. Um, so uh, as we sit here at our microphones, we are recording this episode of Oh Boy of Remote Patrol colon Oh Boy. On March 26th, 2018, uh, the episode is episode eight of season one. The Kamikaze Kid aired originally on May 10th of 1989. The story takes place on June 6th, 1961. The date that Sam leaves into other things that happened on June 6th, 1961. Hold on to your hold on to your seats for this one, folks. The yeah. decennial census was taken in West Germany. Final tally, 56,174,826 people. Riveting. Yeah, yeah. South Korea's military leaders enacted the Law Concerning Extraordinary Measures for National Reconstruction. I don't know what that means. Air Congo. Air Congo was formed on June 6, 1961. I did not take the time to look that up. Uh, the Canadian University Service Overseas was founded. This one and th- this next one, I'm interested in, in finding out if you knew anything about this or if it sounds familiar to you, Richard. In the United Kingdom, the commercial television franchise for North and West Wales was awarded to. I don't even know how to say it exactly. Oh, that's Teledu Simru. Do you know it? Yeah, that's Welsh, and I, it's my belief that it's a practical joke played on the English by the Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you say it? I have to know how you say it. I don't know. I I can't do that. That's that's something we definitely need Alison for. I know that the Y, the the C Y M, that's a cum noise. Kumru, kumru, probably. I'm gonna Teledu I'm gonna assume it's kumru. Teledu Kumru. Something like that's probably not far off. Teledu um, Kumru, the whale, the Wales Television Association, and that would go on the air. The following year, in September 14, 1962, it failed in less than three years. Yeah. Um, we, we we have sort of regional commercial television. It, things have sort of changed a little bit. It, it's not like you guys have regional television because of geography, basically. Um, and, uh, yeah, it will. It, that channel is still around. I'm assuming that will have meant uh, ITV. Uh, which was basically just broadcast of multiple regions all around the country, but they all showed pretty much the same thing, Um, which is weird, but it's what we do. It is a little bit different over there. (laughs) It is, it is, and things have changed again recently because they we we have like national broadcasters who are the channels on one, two, three, four, and five that that Mm. you that go out over the air, Mm -hmm. Uh, and they. Yes, this is will have been one of them, but for now, Wales is this is this what we hear um, over here? Over here in the U.S., we hear it as BBC One, BBC Two. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, the the channels one, two, three, four. Okay, yeah. 
but there's only BBC One and BBC Two. Then there's ITV, which you would know as Channel 3, but it's it's not. There's nothing in that whatsoever that indicates they are Channel 3, other than back in the day, most people would put it on Channel 3 on their TV. Because <laughs> uh, okay. you put BBC 1 and 2 on 1 and 2, then Channel 4 came out, and they were called Channel 4. So they became Channel 4, and then the same for Channel 5. With this, we're tangenting already on something weird. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe news of the of the leap day wasn't the best idea but but most noteworthy i would think um <clears throat> june 6 1961 swiss psychiatrist carl jung dies 10 days after completing his work on the book man and his symbols there it uh, is jung most people might know as being mentioned once in batman begins okay <laughs> i didn't know that um he, he invented uh, analytical psychology right i'm reading that it, off wikipedia i'm not that clever <laughs> uh, in batman begins uh scarecrow mentions jungian archetypes so there's that yeah and that's it for the news on leap day june 6 1961 and as we move ahead the synopsis for the episode and i'm i'm taking uh, a cue and a little gift from uh last episode's guest Allison Pregler of uh, of Movie Nights, Obscurus Lupa on uh, YouTube and Twitter, uh, where she told us about Al's Place, which I took a, a brief visit to. And uh, that's going to be a very useful site as far as getting some uh, uh, some information about the episodes as we go through them. Uh, it's going to have a cast list and uh, all the music that was featured in the episode they listed on there. Uh, Al's Place is a pretty comprehensive site. So I have borrowed their episode synopsis and if anyone wants to go check them out um as allison said it, it really is a great site www.quantumleap-alsplace.com because al's place is also a restaurant in san francisco in the mission district i've i've i googled al's place and now it's trying to get me to book a table <laughs> wrong al's place wrong al's place i don't even like uh, seafood but uh pass that on to um to mark yes al's place i have seen this website many times before it, it's it is a walking zombie geocity style site it, oh it yeah really it's is a, quite something visiting this site is like taking a quantum leap to the internet past yeah wow it, it is quite something but yeah very it, good it, for quantum leap fans it, it's an old layout but it still works so According to Al's Place, the synopsis for this episode, as a geeky teenager, Sam must prevent his sister from marrying an abusive alcoholic. We learn that Sam's own sister also became victim to the same fate. Also, he is forced into a drag race to defend his sister's honor, and Al offers some inside tips on winning the race. He does. That That is precisely what happens. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not all that um, shocking or groundbreaking an episode even for quantum leap he shows up he gets a lay of the land he figures out what he's there to do and he in a fairly straightforward manner just goes about doing it yeah until he succeeds at the end of the episode they don't really throw a whole lot of curveballs at us in this episode i i With, I, I like how and and this actually struck me while i was just watching it i like how he's into leaping at this point Right, he's down with it. He's cool. There's no big shock anymore. He's straight into I've just leaped mode. 
and he's doing things like identifying his sister's name written on the side of the car, mm-hmm. all kinds of things. He's into it now. Yeah, um, uh, the way he interacts with um, uh, Cam, uh, the, the the person he leaves into is Cam, Cam Wilson, um, and his interactions with Cam's family, um, uh, schoolmates with the local um, with, with with the local hot rod gang. <clears throat> He is uh, – see, for a second there, I focused on how long it was taking me to come up with the word, and that made it take even longer. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> it, was, it was really kind of a surreal experience. Now, he's not having as much trouble getting into the groove of the leap. Uh, he's not stammering or, or panicking or uh, getting confused as much as I thought that he would all the time. Yeah. In, in my head, every episode, he is just a fumbling mess every time he gets into a leap. But this is an episode that shows us um, uh, very clearly he he's he's better at thinking on his feet than I was giving him credit for. I, I think, to be honest, if they tried and dragged it to drag it out for the entire run of the show, that every time he leaped, he, there was massive confusion and that sort of thing. I think it would get boring and tired mm-hmm. and we'd, we'd just get fed up of it. And it, it is good that he sort of just settles into what's happening and yeah. keeps, keeps going with the flow. This is the sort of thing where if it were being made today, then I'd say by the end of the first season or definitely the second season, they would be looking for cool and interesting ways to show us how skilled he is at reading the situation, reading his surroundings and acting the part in a way that will not uh, confuse other people. Yeah. Uh, but th- th- this one did a good job of, of showing that uh, in modern television, they would do that even more in, in future episodes. They would make that like a set piece. I think it became a tricky thing for them to do. Do you know what? They back themselves into a corner with the whole, he forgets a lot every time he leaps thing. Yeah. Because it just, it becomes untenable over a long time. And if that was the case, he would never really adjust to it. Um, and, and so they had to sort of just drop that part of it. It, Sam's Swiss cheese, cheese brain came up whenever there was something to explain away as a plot device. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you just can't remember X. So, right. you know, if only he'd remember that. If the plot required Sam to be not great at something or not know something that he should know. Oh, well, Swiss cheese. Yeah. Which, you know, the the point where he's working on the car with his friend and, and he's worried about, you know, I don't know how to do this on a car. And you're like, yeah, you can only build working time machines. So <laughs> car's probably quite tricky. But, the, well, that actually, let, let's focus on that for a second. I think that was a, a decent example of um, them showing us that the personality and the knowledge of the person he is leaping into sometimes sticks around because I can buy the fact that he is um, a genius when it comes to quantum physics and, and time travel and relativity, but not great at fixing a 1960s automobile. I can buy that. Yeah. Makes that, he sense. Wouldn't, that he wouldn't know how to do that. But the fact that he knows some things about fixing a car and not others, I don't know if they, really made it clear in this episode but the first thing i thought was oh he's retaining some of the knowledge and skills from the person he leapt into because cam probably knows how to fix a car that never occurred to me but 
it does kind of make sense. It does kind of fit into the program. Oh, it's mm-hmm. a shame they and- never really pursued that. Because that would mean, like, as he's leaping around, the more he leaps, the more skilled and intelligent he becomes. Well, well, he might not necessarily hold on to that knowledge the, the next time. But I, for, for some minor spoilers for people who might not know this is coming, um, in I think it's season five, Sam is going to leap into Lee Harvey Oswald. And they make it very clear in that episode that he is holding on to some of Lee Harvey Oswald's knowledge because he's able to do his job as far as the tracking of the aircraft on the um, on the plexiglass uh, radar. Yeah. And he's he's writing stuff in in the marker and he he knows what he's supposed to write and how he's supposed to write it because Oswald knew. So now Sam knows. And I don't think that was the first time they did that. I'm pretty sure that is going to happen a little bit throughout the series. He'll hold on to you know the very convenient things that he should know in order to help the plot move along. Pretty much. So that that covers our synopsis, I think. Yeah. More or less. We'll probably get back to more of that stuff later. But um, the next bit, and this is a great episode to introduce the um, the wrong to set right is what I call this section because there's not really anything noteworthy about it. He's there to stop Cam's sister from getting into an abusive marriage and thus um, she loses the opportunity to join the Peace Corps, which is all she wants to do. So – She's going to have a terrible life and she's not going to accomplish any of her dreams and she's going to be married to an alcoholic who beats her. That seems pretty standard for Quantum Leap. It does. And it, it, as we sit here thinking about it, what just popped into my head is it's a shame we didn't leap into someone who could stop that guy from becoming an abusive alcoholic. We kind of, we're, we're one leap down from where we should have leapt to. Like mm-hmm. I, I get, I'm not, I'm not doing down his mission of protecting his sister from being married to an abusive alcoholic. I'm just thinking, well, did that guy then never get married? Did he stop drinking, or did someone else marry him and become married to an abusive alcoholic? Only, exactly. Only what was leaping Sam around decided that that woman's dreams could go to shit, whereas the Peace Corps <laughs> woman should get her dream. Um, so the 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 puppeteer. The uh, the orchestrator of the leaps decided Cheryl deserves a good life, so we're going to have Sam fix that. Now, whoever this guy happens to run into next, she's on her own. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way. And I'm sure we're going to be running into that a lot during this series I where, think... sure, he, he sets something right for a person. Yeah. But the root of the problem will end up not being addressed. Exactly. And he's just delayed the inevitable for someone else. Yeah. I'm sure we're going to be seeing that a lot. I mean, there's there's a lot of episodes where that's not the case. You know, mm-hmm. someone just disappeared or they crashed their car, all kinds of things. But yeah, in this particular case, it's like, yeah, you should have been stopping the guy from becoming an abusive alcoholic. He He has problems of his own, clearly. He's not a well kid. He drinks and drives for fun. But hey, 1961, I don't know. Now, in the Mirror Universe, um, anti-hero Sam would just kill the guy. That Problem would, solved. Look, that would solve, again, that would solve 90% of episodes. Like, I just, oh, I found him and killed him. It's <laughs> yeah. done. Job done. I found the person responsible for the badness. They're dead. What's next? Let's move on to the next one. 
So that well, that's not helping, I think, in the long run. Although with this guy, it bloody would be. <laughs> and it's very easy, and not just because the episode painted it this way, but it's very easy to see antagonists like that, to see abusers in television shows as irredeemable. We would have no qualms with Bob, the the abusive fiance, just getting dead immediately. Yeah. There's no way for him to make good with his life. No. And and at this at this point in this story as well, you're not even looking for retribution for that guy. He's actually at this point done nothing wrong. He is presently not an abusive husband. Well, he's an abusive fiance because he did leave those bruises on the back of Very Cheryl's true. neck. Yeah. He's definitely going down that path. So I, I just may, think, you know, he's maybe not just... established himself. He hasn't established himself as a, a solid habitual abuser, but it's beginning. Yeah. And maybe that's a good time for Sam to have steered him off that path and onto something more positive. But you got to give not. a little scared straight because getting punched by a nerd and having his car busted up, probably not going to not going to change his ways. That was. T- yeah. Yeah. We'll come back to the end, I think. Because yeah. it, it bothered me a lot, but only from its content, not from its its performance. But um, yeah, the guy who plays the abusive alcoholic, what's his name? Uh, uh, he was credited Kevin... as Kevin Blair. Is how he was credited. His last name is is different. Spurtus. Yeah. Okay, Kevin Spurtus. I've seen him in lots of stuff, and he generally always plays this kind of role. Mm-hmm. I I expect him to be an arsehole if he's on something. Um, that, that said, he's not the... Right, he's not the guy I thought he was. I've got him mixed up with someone else. He was on D- Days of Our Lives for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that I, is... I saw... Yeah, I saw a lot of the things that he was credited in, but I didn't really recognize many um, at all. But it was... I think it might have been... Just the the way his teeth show through his smile really uh, it reminded me of someone. I'm not sure if I'm thinking of the right person, but the closest I could come was the guy who played Troy in Goonies. He does look kind of like the guy who played Troy in Goonies. Mm-hmm. And and it's the smile. Other than that, I can't think of who else that he looks like, but I know he looks like someone. Someone who was very good at playing the unlikable uh, bad guy. I always wonder about actors like that. Like, are they unlikable? Is he a nice guy in real life or is he an arsehole as well? They usually are nice guys. I think one of the best examples is William Atherton, who played Walter Peck in Ghostbusters, who's an incredibly nice guy, but for so much of his life, he has caught nothing but just a hailstorm of shit from oh, I, people who uh, equate him with his characters from Ghostbusters and Die Hard. Didn't, didn't he say, you know, people, he'll be walking down the street and someone will be like, hey, Dickless. And <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> 30 years ago, I was an actor in a film where someone made a joke that my character had no dick. Thank you for shouting that out at me <laughs> in front of my family. Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> People don't shout shit at celebrities across the street. That's just, nobody wants that. Nobody. 
whatever it is. You, you have to play it cool. You have to get you up do. nice and close and just quietly say it to them so they know that you know, but so you don't make a big scene. Basically. I'm, I'm prepping. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to mentally prepare myself because uh, in, in less than a week from, uh, from the day that we record this, uh, my family and I are hitting the road. We are going to drive from Michigan down to Florida to go to Disney World. Cool. We did that two years ago and we're doing it again uh, in a week. Now, it didn't happen last time we went and I don't know if it's going to happen this time. But I'm trying to prepare myself. For the possibility that maybe someone famous will happen to be at Disney World, well, and if Mickey I see Mouse someone, is always there, Scott. So, well, you know. yes, there are many Mickey Mouse's <laughs> there, but you know who else might be there? What if Chris Evans is there? Is he likely to be? I have no idea. Celebrities like Disney, just like regular people. Th that Sometimes is true. they go. Johnny Johnny Depp loves going to Disney. A lot of celebrities like going to Disney. What if? A celebrity from the Marvel Cinematic Universe just happens to be at Disney World when I'm there. And what if I just happen to spot them and identify them at a time when no one else is actively identifying them? I have an 11-year-old with me who loves the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. I will need to find a way yeah. to introduce my 11-year-old stepson to a celebrity. If I see a celebrity, how am I going to do it? I don't know. There is a story I heard a while ago from uh, another podcaster by the name of Andy Anarko, who does a lot of tech stuff. He's a tech journalist and he, he writes, he, he's on Mac Break Weekly. A lot of Mac shows I listen to. And mm -hmm. he has I, a story. I, I used to be a subscriber of his for a while. All right. Um, he, he has a story about the time he, he'd gone to Comic-Con and on his way to the convention one morning, found himself alone in the hotel lift with Stan Lee. And he just stand there and you're thinking, Oh my God, you're Stanley. <laughs> it's just us here. We're in this box and you're Stanley. And what do I do? I I can't say nothing, but at the same time, I don't want to scare the man in thinking, Oh my God, I'm in a small box with the scary guy and <laughs> so on and so on. And I, like, I, I, I've come to the conclusion I would have just stayed quiet the whole time and left and just spent the rest of my life regretting never having spoken to Stan Lee. That's quite possibly what would happen with me as well. I always hope somewhere in the back of my mind that I would have the self-control and the courage to, if I was, you know, in the elevator alone with Stanley or, you know, just pick a celebrity, someone who's, you know, big and important, important to me. Let's say I'm in an elevator with Avery Brooks. Now I've met Avery Brooks before, so it might be a little bit easier, but he's still one of my favorite Star Trek performers of all time. Yeah. And if, if I'm in, let's use this, uh, this show as an example. If I'm in, in an elevator with Scott Bakula, I can't freak out. No. I can't start screaming about how awesome I thought Quantum Leap was. And then I liked Enterprise more than most people liked Enterprise. And it gets a bad rap. It really was a good show. Honest, it was. I can't be that guy. I hope that I would be the guy that could just stand there and without even turning to look at him, make it a big deal, just quietly, calmly say, you're Scott Bakula. And if he says yes, I'll just say, I'm a big, I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah. That's... And then and then let him take it from there. If he wants to say thank you, if he wants to strike up a conversation, handshake, whatever, then let the celebrity decide. And I hope that I would have the self-control to do that. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I've, yeah, I've not met enough celebrities, really, 
I think once you, I think you can get used to it, and you, you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. I, I have a Facebook friend that meets a, a lot of celebrities. Uh, hi, Laurie, because she does. She works for conventions um, or a convention company. Whatever one needs to, whoever one generally works for that requires them to be at a lot of conventions. That's what that <laughs> job is. I am mm-hmm. unaware of the title, but she's forever posting photos of. Here's me with Tom Hiddleston. Here's me with everybody you've ever met, ever or seen in a thing. And you just, you can go through and like, oh my God, you met them. Oh my God, you met them. And she's working with them. So it's not like a, she's queued up and got the photograph taken. It was her job to look after Michael Rucker that afternoon. And so, <laughs> you know, I'm totally used to it. Like, of course, yeah. So what, you're Benedict Cumberbatch? Come over here, let's get sorted, whatever. You know, it's like, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do it. That's why I'm a podcaster and I talk to you. <laughs> it's easier. <laughs> I am, to date, not famous. <laughs> well, you're at least as famous as me. That's, I think that's where it is. We're on, a, we're on equal famousness. I can deal with that. Good, good, good point. Good yeah. point. Um, and uh, less famous, I can definitely deal with. But more famous. <laughs> wow. Not more famous. I would, I would consider um, uh, Admiral Marius, Rick Tatro, to be more famous because he has had a conversation with Morena Bakarin. He is Facebook friends with Susie Plaxon. He is as well. That, he, that must make him more famous. Definitely. I, I think it does. Now, he might not like the fact that I brought up the Morena Bakarin interview because he is uh, legendarily not proud of how he conducted that interview. He did that interview better than I ever bloody could have. He <laughs> spoke to her. He got a word out. <laughs> and I, I don't know that I could. I I honestly don't. So, uh, yeah, I have no criticism of the man for that whatsoever. <laughs> uh, so... I- the Kamikaze Kid, episode eight of season one of Quantum Leap. What do we learn about the characters of Sam and Al in this episode? Now, uh, uh, Richard, you have a copy of the of the document that I wrote up for this uh, for this episode as well. Do you want to uh, do you want to lead off on this one? Maybe add something that I didn't put in there. I have nothing to add that you didn't put in there. I think the most significant thing is is that we learn about Sam's sister. Mm-hmm. And this will come back later, and we will meet Sam's sister. Um, yes, indeed. It, it is an important thing to know. Uh, it, it is definitely integral to the character. It, it sort of, you know, it, it's, it adds to, what's the word, not tragedy. The pathos? <sighs> Maybe. It, it's There is this, I, I feel like when you think about it, there is an underlying level of melancholy to the whole concept that he helps all these people and never really until he does gets the chance to help his own family Mm -hmm. now we we will see throughout the course of the series yeah he will have the occasional opportunity to have a positive effect on his own family uh sometimes part of the leap sometimes not Um, and it's not always successful no, of course. Uh, and there is a very... Is it season four or five, the double episode of uh, Leaping Home? Um, I think that opens season four. Right. I think. It might open season five. Yeah. But it's, but, it's, uh, the, it's the season premiere of either four or five. It, it is like up until that point, 
there, there are people we know that he wishes he could help, but it's not up to him who he helps. So hard luck. You know, why didn't he leap into the into someone that could help his sister not marry an abusive alcoholic? Um, but that comes later, which is, it, I don't know, I think that's what's so good about that double episode as well. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, I might be thinking of the wrong one. When I think double episode of him leaping home, are you talking about the episode where he, the two episodes where he leaps into, I think, himself? Or are you talking about yeah. the two-part episode where he... Um, that might not even have been a two-parter where he becomes the hologram instead of no the leaving. the the one where he leaps first into himself and then into his brother's uh like platoon buddy, mate, platoon mate. Yeah. that was um, I, I yeah i think those episodes are home and missing in action i think were the titles of those right. um and i think i think that's gonna be somewhere in season three i when i said the premiere of four or five i was thinking of the leap home where he and al swap places yeah um, yeah as a follow-up to shock therapy that was my mistake yeah so he he does get that chance but it's a long time coming and there's a lot of sort of it's not an outright big sadness to it but it's always there at the back of my mind like you know is he not allowed to help people he knows but although he, he does on multiple occasions, he certainly helps Al a number of occasions. Mm-hmm. Now, and it was, I think, the second, uh, the second episode of the series after the the two part premiere, where he sees the opportunity to try to have a a positive impact on his own life by repairing the relationship between his ex fiance and her father in the hopes that she would not leave him at the altar when they went to get married. And by the time they ended that episode, we have no idea whether it worked or not. Mm. Tune in later to find out because you will. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Which, which I found to be a very emotionally impactful moment when we do find out whether or not it worked. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give it away. Yeah. Um, And the other thing on here is, Al creeps on how Tina would look in and out of lingerie. Yeah. At the same time, not only is he talking about how his girlfriend would look in the lingerie that that Cheryl was trying on, but we also find out that he stood there and watched as Cheryl tried on a whole bunch of different lingerie. Yeah. You can't get away with that today. That scene would be cut. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that yeah, scene would. would be cut before they even filmed it. No way would they be having one of our hero characters just watching women changing. That's part of the appeal of Al, though. I I find that right. He well, it it was part of the appeal then in the late eighties. That was part of his appeal because he was the lovable rogue, and he was he was he he was such a cad that Al. Yeah. He loves the ladies. But I I always felt that he genuinely loves the ladies. That he's not like Fonzie or 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 Joey from Friends. Like, yeah, he's had a thousand wives and he's always talking about women in fairly superficial ways. But I never felt it was particularly misogynistic. It it was I, I always felt it was more appreciative. That while while he did have there, there was some salaciousness and he he was um, 
uh, perhaps a bit lecherous, there was still a fundamental respect for women underneath it all, is what you're saying? You, you never felt he was a bit date rapey or anything like that, you know? He, he was still a nice person, however much he appreciated women. Now, I, I, I can see that. I can see that. It, while, while he might be, as you said, superficial and uh, uh, a bit base, he would never force a woman to do anything that she didn't want to do. No, God, no, nothing like that. And he would never be sort of creepy to a woman, you know? All this stuff that we go, oh, it's creepy, he was doing that. Uh, not as far as he knows, to the face of a woman. He's not going to be an abusive person or or a controlling person or anything like that. He's charming and witty and fun and all that mm -hmm. stuff, and that will be how he gets his ladies. But, uh, yeah, I never felt he was particularly misogynistic but you're right though the idea that one of our heroes will spend some time watching this this young girl get unchanged whatever you wouldn't put that in there now but it, mm -hmm. it, in 1989 which is dear god nearly 30 years ago is <laughs> um you know it's seen as playful it's you know this is the age of like porkies yep. and stuff like that he's seeing boobs ah you Play, know. playful Playful is really a good word to describe it. That, that's yeah. really how they were presenting it at, at the time. And I would be, I'm very interested to know if any of our listeners have anything to say about that particular aspect of it. Uh, so if, if you're going to just pick one thing to share your thoughts about regarding this episode, folks, make it that. I want to hear what you guys think about how a character like Al was presented in 1989 versus how that type of topic would be presented in television today. Yeah. Um, is it acceptable? Is it not? Um, I, I does think the fact that, that, that Al is a fundamentally good person, uh, does that make up for his uh, inappropriate behavior? That's, that's what I'm wondering as, as far as what other people think. I, I think a lot of people would argue, no, it doesn't make up for his inappropriate behavior, but Maybe it did in 1989, and maybe that's <laughs> maybe. what the problem has been for the last 30 years, and maybe that's what everybody's so upset about right now. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe so. Maybe because we <laughs> thought it was okay back then, it helped it to be considered by some bad people okay now. And another thing that's also not really okay about Al and his behavior is he's watching Cheryl get changed. Uh, he shows Sam a picture of the car that he got and the girl in the bikini on the car who offered to, quote, wax his hood. I now, love that. <laughs> now, keep in mind, when he's behaving this way, Al is not single. No, he's not, is he? He's married to Tina. They're, well, they're, they're not. I don't think they're married. I think that they are dating. They're in a relationship, but I don't think that they're married at the project. But I, Tina also works at Project Quantum Leap. And they are an item, but this is how he behaves, even though he's dating someone. Which is horrible. That's, yet, that's, a, that's a point against him. And, and anytime yep. I remember it, it, it really kind of digs at me a little bit when I view Al's character. And I remember, but he is being unfaithful, even if it's just by with the uh, peeking on, on women in the past through the imaging chamber. But apparently he'll go out shopping for cars and then he will be actually unfaithful. That's that's not good. I, I can guarantee I would be in trouble for all of it. Um, you know, it's it's 
it, it's all inappropriate. And you're right. I have to try and not think about this stuff like he's cheating on his girlfriend slash wife slash whatever she might be. Uh, because it, it really is a big mark against the character. However, I realize once again that I forgive him because of his lovable roguishness. And mm-hmm. because it's sort of like his his approach to women, the way it's presented, is in a non-creepy but creepy way. It, it's... I think of him like a craft beer enthusiast, but with women. <laughs> you know? <laughs> does, that, does that make sense? It's like, yeah, but there's all these women, and they're all amazing. I have to try them all. Um, and it's not out of any sort of power grab for him. It's not I out of... I can't have one favorite beer. I mean, I have a favorite beer. It's Klingon Imperial Porter. I'm drinking it right now, but I can't have a favorite. Yeah, you can still appreciate other beers, you know? And th- that... Is there something about the attitude behind it that makes it less of a horrible thing, even though in real life it would be every bit as much a horrible thing? Um... So it it's weird how they they get away with that, but they've got away with it there. Mm-hmm. We will, I'm sure, uh, track the evolution of Al's character throughout the next uh, several seasons, uh, where he's going to, I'm sure, uh, not change at all because that's how things were done in the late '80s, early '90s in television. You you develop your character at the beginning and you just keep him there throughout the entire run of the series. Uh, characters did not grow and evolve the way they do these days. No, that's true. That that is true. And you, they... you make you make your archetype and that's who they are for the entire run of the series. Um Captain Picard was nearly the same person at the end of the seventh season as he was the beginning of the first. Uh the only changes they made were as a result of them fine tuning the the feel and the tone of the show. And fine-tuning the characters they didn't decide we're going to start him here and end him here they created the character and then they had to you know mold and and tidy up the character as they went along until they found what they wanted roundabouts the third season and then he just stayed the same and that's the same with pretty much every character on the show basically yeah can you tell i'm doing another rewatch of next generation <laughs> <laughs> It is true, though, that some characters just never move. Mm-hmm. Al's a difficult one, though, because he 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 is a character that comes into someone else's story. I, I know he's part of all the stories, but he's sort of the... Sam's there doing the thing with all the people, and we see all of his story. Al just pops in, and all of his exposition of his own life has to be done with him telling Sam about it. We don't see anything happen to Al. Pretty much ever. Yeah, on a few rare occasions we do, but it's not often. I think there there's one episode where um, the person that Sam leaps into escapes the waiting room and gets out of the project, and Al has to go out into the world to track him down and find Love him. Love that one. Um, yeah, that, that's a nice one. Um, and then there is the episode where Sam and Al switch places. So even though Al is not at the project – Sam is at the project and he gets to interact with the people who interact with Al every day. And that does give us a bit more of a of a behind the scenes look at who Al is. It's it's brief, but it's there. Yeah, but it, and it, but it is ever so brief. 
So to develop him is very difficult, I think, dramatically. You have to have him come in and be like, oh, this happened to me today, and then this happened, but then it's all all right. You're like, all right, that happened. Okay, fine. Mm -hmm. Um, Shall we move on to the influence in history? Yes, uh, there's not much, but it's one example, and I thought that it was bananas, this example. It was the most out of nowhere, yeah. the, the most shoehorned out of nowhere example that we've had so far. Now, we haven't had many. This is only episode eight, but they're going to have to work hard if they want a more awkward, ham-fisted way for Sam to interact with history. I can't think of a, how you would do it more than they have for this episode, because mm-hmm. you, you're right. Shoehorned in much? My God, did somebody have 30 seconds of time to fill? <laughs> So what happens in the episode, I I don't want to assume that everyone is treating this like mission log where you watch the episode that we're discussing right before you listen to us discuss it. Um, So to give you some background, Sam is once again um, removed himself to an out of the way place this time, as it will often be a bathroom. And he's having a conversation with Al, never learning how to have a low key conversation with Al where he doesn't look at him. And he doesn't move around much, just kind of sit still and just kind of have the conversation out of the side of your mouth so no one notices what's going on. Because three of the guys from the Hot Rod Gang have seen Sam very, very obviously turned in his seat looking up at a person who's not there and having a very animated conversation. And he does this a lot. And I hate it. It's most episodes. That would be the one thing that... As a leaper, you figure out how to keep that under control, but he never does. So in order to stop being conspicuous, he goes to the bathroom and he has a conversation with Al. And then as he's having the conversation, some kid walks out of the bathroom stall because Sam, like a genius, didn't check to see if there was anyone else in the bathroom before he continued his conversation with no one. So a little kid walks out of the stall and he sees Sam talking to no one. So Sam makes an excuse, which would probably be my go-to in his situation, which is to say, I'm an actor. I'm rehearsing a scene. It's a good excuse for lots of things that. Yeah. So he strikes a pose when he says, I'm doing a little scene. And the little kid mimics that pose. Instantly, they move into a single move dance off with um, uh, Rock and Robin coming in on the soundtrack out of nowhere. So now these two are just dancing to Rock and Robin. It's Sam and a little kid who probably ought not talk to strangers the way he is right now. Yeah, don't especially kids, don't especially talk to when strange men in bathrooms don't especially do that. when that strange man in the bathroom is talking to no one. Yeah. So they have a little dance off, and and Sam decides, okay, I got a move I can show him, and Sam does the moonwalk. At which point, the little kid expertly pulls off the moonwalk. At which point, are you ready for this? Wait for it. It's Michael Jackson. (laughs) Oh, who saw that coming? Literally no one except for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) And they they get they show it the right way. Little Mikey Jackson, you come out here right now. There's always it's always somebody else shouting their name and Sam does the what? Mm. Every time. Yeah. Mikey, we gotta rehearse. Let's go. What? And it's just the same. Stephen King, come bring this dog Cujo into the car. And you're like, okay. Spo- spoilers. Okay. That's later on. Yeah. Yes, I, I, yes folks, that does happen. It, it's fresh in my mind because 
after uh, watching Alison's video on YouTube last week, YouTube spat out the uh, appearance Scott Bakula did on the Stephen on the Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and oh, it played yeah. the clip of him <laughs> with young Donald Trump. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let's go back and put wrong one once went right and stop him. <laughs> I remember that one. But that's that, that's the same thing. It's like, come on, young Donald Trump, get out of that cat. Like, yeah, shut up with that. Come on. That that sketch uh went a lot better than the uh than the Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd sketch that they did on I think it was Jimmy Kimmel, uh to celebrate the thirtieth anniversary of Back to the Future. <laughs> I haven't seen that. Ooh. Oh, that does, yeah, that doesn't just, sound positive. W- just weigh the pros and cons carefully before you watch it, because it was a great idea. The concept was was brilliant, but Michael J. Fox still has Parkinson's, and uh, Christopher Lloyd is getting older, and it's very obvious that neither of them had a whole lot of time to rehearse. Well, I mean, that's the thing we 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 forget this like. Christopher uh, Lloyd was playing the old mad scientist 30 years ago now. Yeah. So now he's old and mad plus 30. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, like, like I said, it was a fun idea. The execution, kind of iffy. I'll, I'll still take the, um, the reunion sketch that uh, Jimmy Fallon did with the cast of Saved by the Bell. That was very yeah. funny. Yeah. Um, so that... That was our brush with history. Michael Jackson learned the moonwalk from Sam Beckett, who learned it from Michael Jackson. So now we have a paradox. We do. Mm-hmm. It will not destroy the universe, apparently. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have uh, tropes of of the 80s and 90s. We're going to sign of the times for the 60s and then our before they were stars moment. Um, now, the first thing I put in here as far as a trope uh, it might not necessarily be a trope, but it's the first thing I thought of is that this show I prefer to consider as the great grandfather to Fast and Furious. There's no way it is, but I'm fine with that. Let's let's go with it. I will consider it that too. Because it has drag racing. That's really all the support that I have. Yeah. It was it was funnier in my head when I wrote it. It's shaky ground for an argument, but I'm going to go with it. I, I, I'll agree with you. Although this this episode of Quantum Leap was better than all of the fast and the furious that i've seen Ooh, hot take yeah <laughs> no love uh, those movies do you man. know what do you know what and i've watched them all except the second one before you all email in and say don't watch the second one or is it the third one the tokyo one that's the one i that's haven't the, watched that's the third one that's the third one and you know what they're actually all right there's nothing wrong with them they are what they are they are unashamed of what they are and they do what they are well and mm there's nothing really else just there are lots of fast cars and explosions and jumping on things and the rock and vin diesel and all of that and it's fine because they don't they're not like this is the godfather 2 they're not saying that they're going here's a film with some fast cars and vin diesel and you say okay fine they're really they're really not that bad it's the pacific rim of car movies yeah is that serious yeah you don't go in for for insightful storytelling. You go in because, hey, cars and explosions. Yeah, basically. And they know you, that, and that's what they've made. And so I can't really complain about them at all. Um, plus, you know, Vin Diesel and The Rock, it's fine. 
<laughs> What's Hey Bobby Ho Ho Who Who Who? Is that a song? It is a song, isn't it? No, it's it's a line from the show. It's a line from the episode that we just watched. Um, and what I what I don't know is, did people do that in the '60s, or was that just in the late '80s, early '90s? That is how you portrayed uh, young people as obnoxious. Uh, because any time that Bob, the abusive fiance, would come into the room, and if he had his his gang of oh, they were the Impalas was the name of the gang. You knew that because they all had jackets with, with Impalas written on the back. Yeah. Um, anytime that he came around, all of his little hot rod gang buddies would shout, Hey, Bobby! And then sometimes they followed up with, Which is very Arsenio Hall. These days, some people might start calling, might start saying, It's very Black Panther. Because there's one tribe in Black Panther that does that. But back then, it was Arsenio Hall. But I don't know if they did that in the 60s. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like... It's presented almost like the Happy Days version of this time. And I don't know how realistic it really was. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, I sort of have the... With being British, it's American youth culture from 50, 60 years ago, whatever. I, I... my frame of reference is this show and Happy Days. That that's it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, I can ask my mum and dad what it was like being a teenager then, but they can only tell me the British Northern version of that. And uh, I've been reassured many times it was not like Happy Days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, well, it's going to remain a mystery to me, but it's, it definitely stood out as either an anachronism. Uh, you know, a, a late eighties uh, uh, style of behavior that they placed in the sixties, or just a really obnoxious way to present uh, young people on television, which was fairly common. There was they lots did, of hooping and shouting in the eighties, wasn't there? I forgot yeah, about they, that. They didn't tend to nuance these smaller characters. They were very broad, very simple, and they would display that broad simpleness every time they were on the screen, like in this episode. Yeah. Did you spot the one that looked like he was in his mid-40s with a receding hairline? And you're just like, how, how did you get this part, mate? Because you, the, you are about 25 years too old for it. Right. The guy who was always right next to the uh, the impending uh, television superstar that we're going to discuss in a moment. Yeah. Yeah, that guy. Um, but, but before we get to that, because that's the before they were stars, um, another uh, another trope that I wanted to point out was at the end of the episode, we see Bob, he tries to kill Cam by running him down with his car. Uh, he fails to kill him, wrecks the car, um, starts to manhandle Cheryl, at which point our hero does a Dukes of Hazard style slide across the car and then punches him out. Yeah. The day has been won. Our heroes are victorious. So, the bad guy looks at his uh, group of buddies and commands them to get him, but they don't do it, as is the way with stories like this. They decide they're not going to do it because now they realize that their leader is not worthy of them following him. He's uncool. Exactly. That's the reason. It's not they, – they don't say, <laughs> well, come on, guys, get him. Bob, you just tried to murder a teenager. 
yeah. because he won a race. I, I feel we've and, crossed the line here, Bob. Just... And it's very clear from the way you're acting that you are going to beat the hell out of your fiance at the earliest possible opportunity. Also, you drink too much and you're a bad person. None of that. Just... We, we have come to the realization that you are not a good person and we're not going to support you anymore. No, it's none of that. He says, guys, get him. And then our soon-to-be hero of another television series takes off his sunglasses and says, dude, that was totally uncool. And they walk away. Because he committed the greatest crime, not attempted murder, not um, domestic violence. No. Uncoolness is yeah. what he did. Yeah. And that is why they're not going to follow him anymore. Which <laughs> takes the impact away from that moment entirely for yeah. me. Yeah. If, if they had laid out the reasons if they had informed him very clearly you're a bad person and this is why and you're out of the gang that would have had some impact that would have been a cool scene but no they just declare him uncool which we're supposed to read that as man that was the most devastating thing they could have said to him no it's not try the, a little bit harder writers how about I'm, I'm calling the police i witnessed you actually try to murder that kid and there are, in case you haven't noticed, a few witnesses. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this I, is going to be some bad news for you. Can you imagine the mess if he'd been successful? I mean, that was a big crash. And I'm kind of surprised that he survived the crash head on into that concrete block. Because <laughs> uh, I've seen crash tests of what happens when you drive a car into a concrete block at even 30 miles an hour. Yeah. And for cars built in 1961, you did not get out. Well, you sort of trickled out the edges, I think. <laughs> um, and, and so I think it would have been quite horrendous. And yeah. it actually happened. <laughs> and you know he wasn't going at 30. He was coming off of a drag race. He was he was yeah. not slowing down. He, he'd have he been killed. Have, they'd all have died in a fireball. He should have been in pieces. That that's that That is a certainty. Yeah. But now he's, we, he's, he survived long enough to be deemed uncool. <laughs> Which is more devastating than hitting a oh, concrete pillar at 60 miles an hour. Exploding is so cool. <laughs> but not exploding and then being beaten up by a nerd. So uncool. Mm -hmm. So go on, say the name of the person because you've been so good in not saying it. Uh, for, for the people who did not watch this episode uh, before listening to us, uh, Th this person who declared Bob as being uncool was none other than Jason Priestley. And this was one year before he went on to star as Brandon Walsh on Beverly Hills 90210. Uh, in this episode, he is credited as Pencil. Yeah. Easily I'm erasable. Assume, yeah, I'm going to assume that the 40-year-old uh, teenager next to him was Penn. They really uh, spent some time on those character names there, didn't they? I didn't notice that. <laughs> Yeah, I've I have no idea if the other guy was named Penn. I'm going to assume that. Oh, right. they, okay. I'm going to. I I don't know what they called him. I prefer to think of him as Penn. <laughs> I, that works for me. <laughs> and the the other thing that you you see on this uh, document that I that I typed up, this is some trivia that I found. Uh, uh, I think I found it when I was looking through IMDb for this episode. Um, now the actress Holly Fields played Jill in this episode. She was the uh, tomboy blonde who liked uh, working on cars and wore the, the baseball cap and she had a crush on Cam. And at the end of the episode, Jill and 
Cam, Sam, share her first kiss as he leaps out. Mm-hmm. Now, in the episode, she is described by Cheryl as being 16 years old. No. That scene at the end of the episode where you see Sam and Jill sharing that kiss right before he leaps out was a 35-year-old Scott Bakula kissing a 12-year-old Holly Fields. Yeah, they didn't do that again, did they? It makes me uncomfortable. Me too. (laughs) Me too. Now, I understand that they're actors, and this is sometimes what you have to do while you're an actor. I used to do community theater. I have done many, many performances on stage, and... As a cisgendered, straight white male, I have kissed more than my fair share of men in front of hundreds of people. Also uncomfortable, but as an actor in a performance, it's something that you do. Yeah. If it's in the script, you you can't just change the script because that's not who you are. Especially when you're the title character and the entire play is about you being gay. You can't really make a whole lot of changes to that. It's a really tricky thing they did because it makes sense that he would occasionally jump into a teenager and he does again but they will never give him a love interest as a teenager again and it is that kind of like well according to the story there's nothing wrong here as far Mm -hmm. as she's concerned he is another 16 year old boy whatever and they're making no secret of that that's the whole point of the show yet at the same time we're aware that that is a middle-aged man kissing a little girl yeah because so. it, it, in the story, it's at best, it's a teenage boy kissing a 16 year old girl. Mid range, it's a 35 year old time traveler kissing a 16 year old girl. But the uncomfortable reality is it's a 35 year old actor kissing a 12 year old actor. Yeah. That's where it gets, that that's where it goes a little off the rails. If you can keep yourself entirely in the, the confines of the plot, then you're okay. But once you start thinking of behind the scenes, that's where it starts to get iffy. So you have to be real careful. Absolutely. So don't think about it too much, everybody. Mm -hmm. In fact, don't think about it as much as we have uh, already in this episode. Stop right now. No more thinking about it. We've thought about it too much already. We have. Let's think about whether or not we like this episode. I did like this episode. I really did. It was... It was simple. It was still a lot of fun. Um, there's, they're definitely starting to get a sense for what they want the show to be. Um, they're, they're finding their stride um, with the way Sam handles adjusting to each individual leap, um, going about solving the problem in the most efficient way possible, even though Al is being zero help up until he says, oh, use, use nitrous there. That was Al's contribution. I'm pretty sure that Sam would have been able to figure out what he was there to do if Al had not been around. He would have seen Cheryl and Bob together and he would have he would have put it together. Maybe so, yeah. Yeah. Um and uh, the writing was fine for the time. Nothing was extraordinarily bad about it. Um the performance by Bob's alcoholic father, um I think uh Robert Costanzo, I think was uh was the actor. Um uh, a character actor that you've seen in dozens of things. Yeah, um, yeah. He's, he's always a lot of fun. Um, and I think he did drunk at that um, rehearsal dinner very well. I enjoyed that performance. Um, 
The other thing that I picked up on through the episode that I enjoyed was the running gag of after Cam's dad punches Sam in the arm, he keeps getting punched in that arm throughout the rest of the episode. And that pained look on his face every time he gets hit. <laughs> yeah. It's always hilarious because <laughs> it never stops all the way to the end. This is just a nice little quantum leap episode. It really is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it's, it's one that I've seen more than a lot of others, especially yeah. out of season one, uh, season one as well. It's probably not going to blow your mind, but they don't all have to. Sometimes they can just be nice, well put together, uh, self-contained leaps. And this one is a near perfect example of it. I really liked it. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I think I think we for for what a nice basic normal episode it is. I think we got a lot out of it to talk about. To be perfect, yeah. Honest. My hat comes off to the new structure. It really you, you, does. You enjoy it? I'm a fan. I am definitely Excellent. a fan of this. I'm glad. Yeah, that that helped so much. <laughs> and we still found a way to tangent, so we didn't have to change who we are completely. Exactly. No, this is this is good. This is very good. I'm 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 impressed and very pleased. All right. Well, um, uh, let's. We're, we're going to do plugs next before we uh, do a preview and wrap it up. Um, I have personal plugs, so why don't I throw those out before you do the network plugs? You go for it. Okay. Um, for anyone who wants to uh, see things that I do visually rather than uh, listen to me ramble on and on verbally, um, feel free to visit www.planetrisecreative.com. It's like moonrise or sunrise, but with a planet planetrisecreative.com. There is artwork that I've done in the form of uh, fake posters for movies that don't exist or fake uh, book covers for books that don't exist or just fun desktop wallpapers or uh, smartphone wallpapers. A bunch of different art projects I've put together just for the heck of it. Uh, A lot of my work is available there. You can also find me on Twitter at planetrise. Um, I'm on Instagram probably at planet rise but i I can't remember i should probably write these down for next time Uh, but you can find me on twitter and instagram and on facebook planet rise creative uh, is name the name of my website i do fun posters or wedding invitations business cards uh letterhead uh if you need something designed or if you have photographs that you need touched up uh i'm always open to taking a look um, I'm in business for myself. I have a day job, but I want to do this instead. So, so come at me. If you need a social media avatar, bring it on. I'll give you a good price. I promise. Uh, planetrisecreative.com or email me scott at planetrisecreative.com. Cool. And you'll find me at techsportrich.com where I put lots of gaming stuff now. It's been lots of things over the years, but now it's computer games. I'm enjoying it. I've done some videos and everything. It's it's good. Yeah, I've I've seen a lot of Facebook activity for you on that lately. Yeah, I've been really stepping it up. So follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all of that stuff as well, because you'll find stuff. Right then. So, and you know, I was just about to recommend oh, you yeah. should probably you should probably tell people to uh, uh, subscribe to Simply Everything well, to that, get all that, the wonderful stuff. But then I remembered that yeah. if they're listening to this, they're already they a subscriber are. to Simply Everything. In which case, but thank tell- you for subscribing to Simply indeed. Everything. And indeed, tell a friend. Tell a friend. You, you, you beat me to it. Uh, 
uh, from both of us, a big thanks to everyone who has subscribed to Simply Everything. Uh, it's definitely helpful for the network that I'm not necessarily full-time a part of, but I participate in the network and I want to see it succeed. I haven't, I'm not just a contributor to Simply Syndicated, but I've been a listener to Simply Syndicated for much longer than I've been involved. Um, I think, how long has the network been been running at this point? Since 2005. 2005. Okay, so uh, 13 years we're looking at. Um, I'm pretty sure that I've been a listener for nine or ten. Wow, we're all so old now, Scott. And the fact that the network is still here is, in my eyes, a big tribute to all the people that have contributed either short-term or long-term to the network. And uh, I know I speak for a lot of people, not as a contributor right now, but as a fan of the network. I say to you, the creator of the network, um, a lot of people are glad to see it still here. And I know that I, as a fan, want to see it continue to grow. So you, listener, who has already subscribed to Simply Everything, uh, tell your friends. You have to have friends who are fans of podcasts. Let them know. Everybody has and, friends who are fans of podcasts. Tell them all. Exactly. And suggest that they that they give it a shot. Um, it, it, is, there, is there a free trial no. for, for Simply Everything? No. No? I'm okay. afraid not. I, I couldn't remember. There once was, but I couldn't make it work properly. So I had to make it go away, I'm afraid. Well, it's not like it's going to break the bank. It's not overly expensive. Try it for a month. If you like it, then keep on trying it for a month. Yeah, and a month. it's not like there's a contract or anything. Right. So so g give, it, give it a shot, people. If you do that, then you'll be able to keep coming back and hearing us do more episodes like this, including the next one, where we will see Sam Beckett leaping into a well-suited man holding a gun with a dead body at his feet when we come back next week to discuss... Episode 9 of Season 1 of Quantum Leap, Play It Again, Seymour. Cool. Okay, then. We'll see you later, everybody. You take care. Bye-bye.